And uh, so getting home and knowing that this was squared away. So Bruce Reynolds is going to faithfully serve us with God's word. We are grateful for that. And obviously, if you know Bruce, if you've heard Bruce preach, we will be well served in that. So thank you, brother. And uh... if you think that Jerry and the elders were grateful last night that they weren't preaching, <laughs> and then they got here this morning. And to think that I deliberated on what to wear this morning. <laughs> Look good, Bruce. You wear glasses. <laughs> I'm going to ask him for a million dollars. That's how the woman began her conversation with me. She's in her mid-50s. A businesswoman. I found out that she didn't live here. She was visiting from Georgia. She was here for the holidays. I said to her, well, are you here to visit family and friends? And she said, no, none of those. I said, well, are you going to stay in St. Peter on the beach? She said, no, none of that either. I'm going to, I'm up in Homosassa. But here she is in St. Petersburg, Florida. And I said, well, how long will you be here for? She said, it's me and my laptop. Until January 29th. And I've replayed that conversation over and over in my head. This businesswoman in her mid-50s who was going to ask him for a million dollars was standing in a line by herself to see Santa Claus. All the lonely people. Where do they all come from? All the lonely people. Where do they all belong? Loneliness, described by one, is the soul feeling isolated from meaningful connections. Feeling misunderstood, out of place. Research says that on any given day, at least 20% of Americans are lonely. And almost half are quote-unquote always or sometimes feel alone. More than 50% feel that no one knows me well. If you feel lonely, you're not alone. And yet before you and I would get too smug to think that the people that are lonely are outside the doors of the church know that they're also inside. I'm convinced, folks, that if you and I were to go to lunch today and find people who went to church, and regardless of the demographic, regardless of the denomination, regardless of their doctrine, within one or two things, I'd say, tell me something about your church, and they'd say, we're a friendly church. I would challenge that our churches aren't as friendly as we think they are. Somebody said there's a difference between being a friendly church and befriending people. Both in and out of the church, loneliness is a reality. And then I found this very poignant quote that said, it will take more than dinner parties to reach the marrow of a complicated and deeply 
cultural problem. This morning, I want us to walk through a very familiar passage. If you could bring it up on your device or however, perhaps you can see it. I want to look at Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. And as I read to you and kind of walk you through this passage, I'm using the NIV, and it's one of the older editions of the NIV. And yes, it's old, but so am I. I want you to consider this whole passage of people who were lost and lonely. It's a familiar passage, but I'm convinced today in the unique circumstances we're here, God is here and God's got something new and fresh and an insight for you and for me. Because when God speaks, he doesn't stutter. And this is his word. So let us be open to it. And there's a lot more going on that we'll pull apart this morning than simply the feeding of the 5,000. It's interesting to know that this feeding of the 5,000 is one of the unique passages or incidents in the life of Jesus that's recorded in all four Gospels. We'll find pick and choose on other things, but this was one of those that all four Gospel writers chose to include. And so to get you started and to get us started in just the first couple of verses of Mark chapter six, beginning in verse 30, it says the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Four things I want you to see this morning, hopefully, but they all begin with the letter C. The first one is come, come. Now to understand this passage in Mark 6, we need to understand the context where Mark has placed it in his gospel. The term when it says, when the apostles gathered and they reported to him all that they had done and taught, It's the only time in the Gospel of Mark that that term apostle is used. It's very unique. It's distinctive. And it's a reference more to the mission that Jesus had given them to undertake. It was more descriptive of their function than a title. And it really could be referred to as missionaries. Well, missionaries to what? Well, to understand the passage, you've got to go back further in the chapter. Because beginning in about... In Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 7, it's where Jesus sends out the 12. He sent them out. The Greek word, the verb for that, that Jesus individually commissioned them by twos. Twos. Why? Because as his representatives, they were to go. But it was a common practice to go in twos. Jesus did that in other times in his ministry. The early church did it. John the Baptist did it. Why? Well, for support, for encouragement, but also that it would validate the testimony. In the notes that you can probably read later, you'll see there's a reference to Deuteronomy 19. And that was said so that what is spoken, two people could testify to what's going on. So Jesus does this with them. And it says that they went out and preached repentance and drove out demons and anointed the sick and healed many. Wow, that's a lot. 
And now they've returned, where we pick it back up in verse uh, 30. They come back and they're now going to report to Jesus what they've done, what they've seen, what they've experienced, all that they have been a part of and taught and healed. And I'm convinced if you can picture that scene, you've got six groups of two talking over each other, trying to get Jesus' attention to tell him what happened. You got Philip and Bartholomew saying, Lord, you won't believe it. We healed these people and these people were coming and this. And then you've got James and John saying, and of course, Peter's butting up into the front. So, whoa, let me tell you what really happened. It's bedlam amongst these guys. They were eyewitness to amazing events. But it says that they weren't alone. They were still surrounded by many people. They didn't even have a chance to eat. You know what I think? I don't even think they probably knew how hungry they were at that point. I don't think they realized it. But Jesus noticed and he had a plan for action. And he says to them, come. Come with me by yourselves. And that was exclusively for the 12. To a quiet place to get some rest. He noticed and he initiated meeting their needs where they were. See, one of the things that I think we need to remind ourselves about Jesus is he isn't simply concerned about our spiritual condition, but he cares about the total person. And when we're sharing and commission talks about sharing on the campus, we need to relate this. Jesus cares about you as a person. Oh, there's a need to be fed spiritually. And unfortunately, too many people who call Jesus as their savior simply live on a weekly meal and suffer from spiritual malnutrition. If the only way that you and I are getting fed spiritually is coming to a church on a Sunday morning for X amount of minutes, we're going to starve. There's also a need for rest. There's a need to get away, to take a break. Kudos to the elders for doing that. Oh, they interacted with a lot of different things and all the matters of the church. But I bet if you ask them, and I haven't talked to any of them yet, I'll bet one of the things they'll tell you that came out of this weekend was rich time with one another as well as with their time with God. We should take a page out of their book. Sometimes you and I think that activity equals spirituality. Long as I'm busy doing something for God, then God blesses it. I think we're going to have a hard time finding chapter and verse on that. I remember hearing a speaker one time, and he said, if you wanted to pull everything down to Jesus' ministry, it would be, and he went about doing good. And he said, if you want to summarize the average believer, it would be, and he or she went about. (laughs) Activity doesn't necessarily mean spirituality. What does it say? Jesus understood them and Jesus understands you. Jesus gets it. Jesus gets it. And he gets you and he gets me. When no one else understands, even when we don't understand ourselves, he does. He does. He understands your fears, your worries, your frustrations, your anxieties. 
He gets it when you and I are consumed about our future, our finances, our family, our health. He has compassion and concern for us over our joys and our sorrows and our heartaches and our tears. Jesus gets it and he gets us. And in Mark chapter six, he got the disciples. He knew where they were. And he says to them, come, come to me by yourself. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? First thing I want you to see in the letter C is come. The second one is compassion. We pick it up again in the passage now beginning in verse 32. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. First thing, see, come. Second, compassion. Compassion. Note that where Jesus is taking the 12, the phrases throughout the passage say a quiet place, a solitary place, a wilderness, so to speak. Interesting theme throughout the scripture, and we'll get to that in a minute. And they went away by themselves, intent to rest, as Jesus said. You know what I think? I think once they recognize their needs, their excitement immediately transferred to exhaustion. Ever been in a situation and you didn't realize how tired you were? You didn't realize how hungry you were till somebody reminded you. Or somebody said, I'm hungry, and you went, yeah, me too. I'm really tired. Yeah, me too. I think here's where the disciples are going with. They really didn't comprehend how hungry and tired they were. Why? Because ministry with people is draining. No matter what you do to serve Christ and you're involved with people, whether it's NCK, whether you're an elder, whether you serve in commission, whether you're a community group leader, when you deal with people, it's draining. And so there's a need for rest and to come away. And so they're being obedient with Jesus and they go along. And yet you get to verse 33, and in the NIV translation, the first word in, in verse 33 is a three-letter word tremendously significant in Scripture. But, may I encourage you with your device or a Bible at home or whatever, every time you see that word in Scripture, circle it, highlight it, underline, because it's a pivot. Things that have happened before and things that are going to happen afterwards. And it says, but many who saw them leaving and recognized them ran on foot ahead of them. The crowd was because of the trip they had taken. So many people were coming and going. That's why they had to go. That's why they had to leave. But the crowd runs on foot to meet them in their boat. You know what the verse says? When the crowd saw them, they recognized them. And they got there ahead of them. It doesn't say him. It says them. 
The crowd that meets the boat on the other side is the result of the ministry of 13 men, not just one man. A lot of the people who make up the crowd that meet the boat on the other side are a lot of the same people the disciples have been with in their teaching, which Mark showed us a little earlier. And when Jesus had landed and saw the large crowd, he saw a sea of humanity before him. Mark says he had compassion on them. I was interested about that word. What does it mean? And as I started to look up and dig it out, it means to yearn, deeply motivated internally, almost within the bowels of a person. Don't we realize that Jesus was moved on other occasions? He was moved to tears with Lazarus. He was moved that he loved the rich young ruler. Jesus was moved. And why? Key phrase. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. A crowd who liked sheep who needed direction. Who wandered. Who were lost. Who were lonely. And they didn't even know how lost they were. But they ran. It says they ran to the boat in hope that maybe this might help in some way, somehow. Mark didn't just pull that phrase, sheep without a shepherd, just off the top of his head. It's a very familiar theme throughout the scripture. In the Old Testament, all kinds of references. In the notes, you can see 1 Kings 22. Numbers 27 talks about Moses saying, when I leave, what's going to happen? The script will become sheep without a shepherd. Zechariah chapter 10, Ezekiel 34 is full of a judgment of a country who the shepherds weren't shepherding, they weren't leading. Finally, toward the end of chapter 34, it talks about that there will be a new and a faithful shepherd. God calls my servant David, who will establish a covenant of peace, causing the people to dwell safely in the wilderness. You see, the flock in Jesus' day still lacked a shepherd. Look at the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the leading council of the Jewish people. There were two parties. The Sadducees, who basically supported compromise with the Roman Empire, discouraging the biblical hope of God's deliverance that the prophets taught. They're like, well, we just got to kind of go along with the crowd and, and maybe we'll get there. And then you've got the Pharisees who are saying, forget that, follow us. And they add, and they make all kinds of rules and all kinds of laws and basically said, if you'll just do what we do and we'll tell you what to do, That'll lead you. And now we got a crowd of multitudes of people in Jesus' day that are sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. They're lonely. The flock of people who hungered for a shepherd and their hunger was intense. Why? Because in verse 34 it says, and he taught them many things. They didn't get to the other side and this crowd got there and Jesus gave them a little quick devotional. Hey, thanks for coming. He cared about it. One of the things that you and I should be able to copy in our lives from Jesus is he was willing to be interrupted. Are you? I don't like it. I don't like it when my schedule's interrupted. When I got things planned. And it seems that the greatest interruptions come when I got the greatest need of things I think I need to do. Did Jesus feel the need to be interrupted? Yeah. He's going with Jairus to heal his daughter because she's desperately sick. And in the midst of a crowd pushing and pulling, a woman reaches out in faith and touches his garment and he stops. Who touched me? 
Disciples think Jesus is squirrely at this point. What do you mean who touched you? Look at the crowd, Lord. Somebody touched me and he stopped. And he deals with this woman in a very intimate, personal way. All the while, a dad is crying out, what about my daughter? Jesus could be interrupted. Jerry referenced last week in the message. Jesus is teaching and all of a sudden, friends that are so desperate to get their friend to see Jesus are pulling apart the roof and lowering it down so their friend can meet Jesus. That's the Jesus. It's the Jesus who is kind of sitting there and talking and so forth. And the Pharisees throw a woman caught in adultery with her. Afraid of her. What are you going to do, Jesus? What about this woman? Boy, I would challenge you to go back to John chapter 8. And not only read what Jesus said, but read his body language. John is very clear when he stood and when he sat and so forth. And finally at the end, he tells the woman to go and sin no more. Jesus could be interrupted. Can we? He saw him a sheep without a shepherd. Yet I'm convinced if you ask the 12, what do you think? They'd say they're not sheep without a shepherd. They're leeches that won't let go. I'm fresh out of seminary. I'm working at a church and I'm working with young adults. These are post-college students. These are graduate students, a lot of those in Boston, and young working people. And we're doing this Bible study on salt and light. And, and if you've ever been through that, you know the thing. You talk about salt. What does salt do? Well, it flavors and it heals and brings things to the surface. And light, what does it do when you have it? Um, what is it that you have? And, and so you talk about warmth and signals. And the acoustics are bad in that part of the room. It takes a while to get back there. But anyway, so you get, you get salt and you get light. And we're kind of through this. And we're ready to move on. And I got one more hand in the back. And against my better judgment, I call on him. And he said, Bruce, I know what light does. I said, what? He said, light attracts bugs. <laughs> I'm immediately thinking, I was absent that day in class in seminary when we talked about this. Light attracts bugs. So I'm scrambling my mind, and I'm really convinced that God gave this insight to me, and I said, you know what? You're absolutely correct. As you and I reflect the light of Jesus, and we become representatives of his love, there are certain people that are attracted to us, that want to be around us, and they literally, pun intended, bug us. <laughs> it's true. Be glad that you all are not comic strip characters with the bubbles above your head and I can see the people you're thinking of at this moment. <laughs> and before you go too far with that, I want you to know that some of you in this room are on somebody else's bug list. <laughs> Light attracts bugs. And that's what the disciples are thinking. Sheep without a shepherd, nonsense. They're leeches. They won't let go. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? First, see, come. Second, compassion. And the third, which seems to follow Jesus in his ministry a lot, complaining complaining 
Verse 35, by this time it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. They said, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed to have them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave it to them, to the disciples, to set before the people. And he also divided the two fish among them all. That's a familiar passage. The crowd of the lonely and the lost were hungry, spiritually and physically. And the crowd that's lost and hungry, the disciples are fed up with. They've had it. Matter of fact, they try to remind Jesus of that. They talk about in the time sequence that they talk about, you know, it's late in the day. It's very late later on, as they talk about in verse 35. They're compelled to remind Jesus of the time, the need, and the location. Lord, we were going to a quiet, solitary place, remember? A remote place, verse 35 says. This is by design. And here's my point. I believe Jesus has got this group of people in a wilderness. That scripture is so clear to you so many times. It was a nation of Israel who wandered in wilderness. And God fed them with bread and manna. It was Jesus who was in the wilderness who refused to turn stones into bread in a wilderness. You know what the disciples are? I was thinking about this week and I thought, this, this is exactly it. The disciples are exactly a word that we have now incorporated into our vocabulary in the last couple of years. The disciples are hangry. They're hangry. You know what that is? The combination of hungry and angry. That's what they are. Here's the first illustration of hangry. Go all the way back to Mark chapter 6. They are bent. They are torqued. It's the original language. Trust me on that. But that's what's going on here. They are not happy at all. Lord, remember us? We're the tired ones. We're the hungry ones. We've done our ministry. And by the way, Lord, we've done it with these people. It's time to punch out, Lord. How many of you have ever had a job where you had a time clock? You had to punch in and punch out. I just recently had a job, and you know what my time clock was? An app. You punch it in, and the clock comes, and it punches in what time you're in, and it punches out when you're, when you're done. The disciples are saying, Jesus, we're on our time. We're off the clock. Remember what we did? Come on, Jesus. Verse 36, send the people away. Send the people away. Verse 36. And then you get to verse 37, and the first word in verse 37 says, but, but he answered them. You give them something to eat. 
I am so convinced that he blew them away with that response. They wouldn't have gotten that choice of answer on a multiple choice question. What do you think Jesus would say? They would have never said, you give them something to eat. They got their backs up. Dialogue going on here is a tone of disrespect. Impossibility. See, Jesus has given the disciples a test about discipleship and ministry, and they're failing miserably. There's a guy who's a senior in college. All the commission people wake up. (laughs) He's in his last semester. He's got all the hours he needs for his major. He just has got to have some course to get three hours in. He doesn't care what it is, just get my degree. So he asks around to his buds, he goes to the frat house, what should I take? And the overwhelming majority says, take the zoology course. It's an easy A. The prof is a marshmallow. Just take it. Of course he does. And of course is what you're thinking is exactly what happened. First day of class, different prof. Prof Marshmallow has melted. He's not there. Three days into the class, they get there and they get on their desk and they've got a test. A piece of paper. One sheet of paper laying on their desk. And on the piece of paper are drawn lines so there are nine blocks on the paper. Nine blocks. In the blocks are drawn the legs of nine different birds. And they're supposed to identify all nine birds by their legs. Not by the body, not by the beak, not by the bill, not by the picture. Nine birds, nine sets of legs. This guy is going nuts. I'm a senior. I just want to get out of this place. And now I'm trying to figure out bird legs? I mean, he looks at it. He's trying to figure out, is there a trick to it? He turns it over. It's blank. Nothing. Finally, the longer he sits there, the more frustrated he gets. He gets up out of his desk. He goes over to the prof's desk. He just kind of half crumbles it, throws it on the professor's desk, and goes to walk out. Before he gets out, the professor said, young man, young man. He said, yes. He said, you forgot to sign your paper. He said, what? He said, you forgot to sign your paper. I don't know who you are. He said, you want to know who I am? He drops his backpack, pulls his jeans up and says, you tell me who I am. (laughs) Some of you are thinking, how can I use that joke later today? I know. (laughs) But here's where we're back to Jesus. Us, Jesus, feed them? We're going to spend that much money on them? Are they worth that much, Lord? <laughs> you know what I think? I don't think the disciples truly recognize who Jesus is. Maybe Jesus needs to pull his tunic up. Show him his legs. Let me tell you who I am, guys. Let me tell you what's going on. And now look at the perfect teacher and how he handles this situation. He ignores their question. And he gets them immediately involved. Go look and see how many loaves do you have? Five and two fish. And very quickly, this hit me this week. I mean, how many times have you read this passage? 
roughly, and we'll get to it in a minute, at least minimally there's 15,000 people there. And in 15,000 people, we got five loaves and two fish? What does that tell me? It tells me that one, these people were so desperate to get to Jesus and never thought about anything else, including food. And two, they hadn't planned on staying that long. Five loaves and two fish. Then they're not done. Jesus tells them to have all the people sit down. Now, it's very interesting when it says that in verse 39, that Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on, and Mark says, on green grass. Now, all along, this is a lonely, desolate place. We almost got this wilderness idea, but we've got green grass. The quiet, desolate, solitary place has green grass. He's my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He allows sheep to graze. And they're to put them in groups of 50 and 100. And I thought, what's the significance of that? Well, that was always done at festivals. It's easily to dis- easier to distribute food than that. And so this shepherd continues to feed his flock. And bottom line, the bread and fish aren't the blessing, but the presence of the shepherd is. It's a shepherdless flock no more. He blesses the food as he looks upward, possibly praying. Praise to you, O Lord, our God, King of the world, who makes bread to come forth from the earth, who provides for all that you have created. Common prayer in Judaism. But again, the disciples aren't done. Jesus has them involved in distributing the food and also collecting the leftovers. Don't you love that there's leftovers? Made me think of Ephesians 3.20. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. That's our God. That's our God. So the disciples finally get fed then and later. Each disciple returns with a basket full. And really only they knew the details of all that taken place. But I want you to see one other thing. Remember I talked about, here's Jesus and the disciples have come back and we talked about earlier in the passage that he had sent them out. In between those is the death of John the Baptist. Weird place to put that. Except, I think Mark is trying to give us another lesson. It's the feast of Herod. Food on a royal scale and yet comparable in comparison to Jesus who fed a meager meal. Herod was king, but he was still leaderless. And Jesus is feeding his flock to the place that there's leftovers. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? One final C. Verse 42. They all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied. Not only come and compassion and complaining. I tell you, there's community. There's community that's taken place. When they finally disperse, that flock is a different group of people than they were when they gathered and ran together. They have been fed in many ways. Pretty much assumed that not many, if any, ran to leave. They walked back. They were united. They had made new friends. They had experienced things together in the presence of the great shepherd. And as I said, 
I'd give you a conservative crowd of 15,000 because the term at the end of the passage, when it says, and the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000, that's literally men. So figure at least some of them had a wife and some had children. So 15,000 is not an extreme estimate at all. But they had found their shepherd. Have you? Austin told us about growing up. He said, I'm one of many college students. We grew up in a church, but I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know the shepherd. It's Jesus, the good shepherd that always cares for the lonely, the loner. He recognizes and has time for the individual, regardless of the size of the crowd or if there is even a crowd. You see, only the good shepherd completely satisfies. Everything else and everyone else will leave you dissatisfied. You can be basing your life on an achievement, an accomplishment, a person, an education, a degree. And none of those are wrong. But eventually they are going to disappoint you and let you down because they're not designed to sustain you completely. Give you a quick example. Three weeks or so from now, you and I on our media and on our screens are going to be inundated again with the Olympics. We're going to find athletes, honed athletes from all over the world coming together to compete. Athletes who have had their dream come true that they are representing their country and they're going to compete in the Olympics. And for some of them, it's going to go a little further that they're going to be on that medal stand. And for one or a team, it's going to be even more because they're going to stand in the gold medal stand and they'll hear their nation's anthem played. My question is, what happens two days later? When all your goals and all your desires and all your drives and everything you went for was to make the Olympics, and now not only that, you've got a medal, and now it's gone. It's over. If that's all our life is based on, it's like cotton candy. It tastes good, but there's no substance. 2005. A guy said, there's got to be more than winning than just Super Bowls. Tom Brady. Still doing it today, but I asked, bet if you get him alone, I bet he's still asking that same question. He's trying everything. Saw this week, came out with his own design line of clothing. There's got to be more. But you got to know that the Jesus of the scripture is not another app. You just don't click on him when you feel like you need something. He's much more. He will challenge you. He will convict you and he will change you. Decisions yours, whether you choose to accept him on his terms or not. Fascinating passage in John chapter six. Your notes say seven. That's my fault. But John chapter six. It says that people in the Bible walked away from him. They were face to face with the living God and they walked away. Because what he said was too challenging. Not what I expected. It says some close followers, disciples, walked away. It was too hard. They turned their back and no longer followed him. And it was him talking about him being living bread. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? In October of 2021, the New York Magazine read an 
ran an article by Paul McCartney, the author of that song, Eleanor Rigby, and that chorus of lonely people. McCartney said this, Growing up, I knew a lot of old ladies, partly through what was called Bob-a-job week, when scouts did chores for a shilling. You'd get a shilling for cleaning out a shed or mowing a lawn. I wanted to write a song that would sum them up. Eleanor Rigby is based on an old lady that I got on with very well. I don't even know how I met her for the first time, Eleanor Rigby, and that's not her name, it's just the song title. But I would go around to her house, and not just once or twice, I found out that she lived on her own, and so I'd go around there and just chat, which is sort of crazy. If you think about me being some young Liverpool guy. Later, I would offer to go back and get her shopping, and she'd give me a list, and I'd bring the stuff back, and we'd sit in her kitchen. And I still vividly remember the kitchen because she had a little crystal radio set. That's not a brand name. It actually had a crystal inside And crystal radios were quite popular in the 1920s and 30s. And so I would visit and just hearing her stories enrich my soul and influence the songs I would later write. Paul McCartney was touched and touched a lonely woman's life. It's pretty impressive for his description of some young Liverpool guy who would one day become world famous, even royalty. He is Sir Paul McCartney. But I want to tell you about God Almighty who came to earth humbly as an individual. He is God God incarnate, and he's not simply a sir. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. And he came to die for lonely people and everyone else. He is truly the good shepherd. Does his flock include you? Let's pray. Oh, Father, you knew this situation and circumstance long before we ever imagined it. And you came and you met with us this morning. You've allowed us to call upon your name. You've allowed us to hear from your word. You've touched our hearts. And yet we'd be naive if we didn't think that within our church family here, within these walls, there are lonely people. Lord, may we be representatives of you to reach out and take some time to talk. And perhaps some for the very first time, Tim DeLewitt, Austin Heard through commission, come face to face with the Good Shepherd. That they're lost, but they can come home to you. A God who gets them and understands them, cares for them totally and completely. Lord, we're your sheep. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for protecting us. Thank you for allowing us to be part of your flock. If we choose to accept you, not on our basis, but on yours, there's nothing we can do to earn your love or grace. But you give it, and you give it abundantly. And it's in that abundant name, and we pray for all our sakes. Amen.